Welcome back to the Snack Walls Podcast. I'm Mike Roberts, your host, and we're here to talk about increasing and maintaining diversity in tech beyond the perks. While companies think they can lure people in with unlimited PTO and dogs in the office, we're here to talk about how you keep them. All right, I'm going to throw it over to our special guest today. Can you tell us in a few sentences who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, first off, Mike, thank you so much for having me on your show. Really happy to be on Snack Walls. And my name is David Strauser. I am the general manager for Vision 33 in the northeastern region of the United States. We do ERP, Enterprise Resource Planning Systems, with SAP Business One, soon to be stage intact as well, too. And I also host a business growth podcast called Shark Bite Biz. Nice. All right. We're going to have to get into that. We're going to have to dig into that a little bit later. But, um, let's just jump right into the questions and, you know, see, see what your take is. So I'm hearing from some thought leaders um, and some folks in um, tech that finding diverse talent is a challenge. What are your thoughts? So it is, but it isn't. First off, you had to look how the hiring market was just a few months ago. We had record levels of uh, employment. It was really hard to actually find people to hire. And because of that, I think it was a strain for many, many companies to get diverse hires because I believe, like, look at Black unemployment. It was supposedly, I believe, a record high stuff like that. But you got to make sure that you're not using that as an excuse not to go out there and exclude diverse candidates from your hire. I mean, the the policy should be, you know, being inclusive in everything. And it really comes back to your organization's diversity strategy, making sure that you're really open for what you're looking for, that you have a pool uh, a pool of you know diverse candidates that come from especially if you're working remote like we are where they're coming from different areas different regions uh, because you really want to try to make sure that when you're hiring people that it you know your employee base is a true reflection of who your client base is especially in an industry like ERP so that you're able to you know, better suit the needs of your customer. Yeah, I think it's so important because without that perspective, it's hard for us as engineers if we don't have a lived experience mm-hmm. of using this product, this tool, this service as an end consumer. It's kind of tough to solve those problems and vice versa, right? It, you're not going to be a happy person enjoying using somebody's tool or SaaS platform if it wasn't designed with you in mind. Right. Exactly. I I 100 percent, 100 percent agree with that. You like say with me covering the Northeast, obviously, I mean, we have places, Baltimore, D.C., Philly, New York. I mean, me having a customer that's using our system in Center City, Philadelphia. Yes. From the management standpoint, I can do everything I can to make them happy. But actually having the people that are down there day to day working on that. I want someone that's going to understand their culture, understand where they're coming from, what they mean, and to help them achieve their goals. That's why in ERP, when we look at our relationships with with customers, it's a growth partnership. 
And you need to make sure that you have that diverse team in place that's able to help you know, your customer and me and my company reach our organizational goals. And that only happens through diversity. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you think about the push to remove the requirement of CS degrees for like some of the software engineering and technology roles? So I'm torn on it. I think if you're going to buy somebody, if you're going to hire somebody to construct a bridge, yeah, you probably want that person to have an engineering degree, those type of requirements, because there's a lot at stake. Computer sciences this day and age is not what it was 20, 30 years ago. It has changed. Change meaning that the level of access to information to be able to be self-taught is totally different. You have a lot of people. I was programming for years before I even went to college myself. I went to college late in life. And because of that, I mean, it was hard to get a tech job back in the early 2000s without the degree. But it's like, I can do everything they teach you at school. Why are you going to make me spend 50, 60, 70, $80,000? So yeah. I, I think depending on the role experience is experience you know it, it can be taught it can be learned uh, just through doing it on your own it, it really depends on the role that you're looking for and what that person has actually accomplished to uh, you know so far in their life if they know how to do it a piece of paper should not disqualify them from holding the position a hundred percent agree. I think it's more about, and hiring managers in tech tend to be a little better at this because they realize the pace at which technology changes and evolves and how unique it is sometimes to have someone that doesn't have the traditional academic background, but instead has the hands on the keyboard experience that they right. truly value. But then there's the other side where they're like, well, I went and got a CS degree. So everybody else has to too. Right. And so you get the both sides, but it's good to see the companies sort of shifting and evolving. hundred, hundred percent. Totally agree with that. And just my personal experience alone, I, you know, growing up through the two thousands, it was hard for me to excel to where my true level was because everybody wanted a degree. And I'm like, hold on a second. <laughs> I've accomplished more in my life than people you have on your staff that have a degree. And it, it was a barrier for growth. So I am 100% totally aware of that. And I'm very, very open-minded as far as that goes. You know, it, it comes down to, can you do it? Yes or no? It's that simple to me. Yep. So tell me, what do you think about an apprenticeship pattern? Do you think it would work for some technology tech roles? Yes, I, I think it could, but I wanted to get your definition. What do you view as an apprenticeship? Do you view that as an internship, like that type of a role or what exactly? Not usually. So I think mm -hmm. someone could create a sophisticated internship program that could have most of the features of the, what I call like the apprenticeship pattern. Obviously mm -hmm. to be a registered apprenticeship program, you have to be approved by the DOL or approved by your state. And so there are guidelines and work standards and things like that. Mm -hmm. But in my mind, the difference between an apprenticeship pattern and an internship is really about in the apprenticeship, it's much more of a mentorship relationship that has to be part of the experience. 
versus the internship where sometimes you don't get mentorship. You don't get an opportunity to really learn side by side with someone. And instead you're getting exposed to the business for a short period of time, getting some experience, but that experience is a little different typically than what's implied mm -hmm. by an apprenticeship with pattern. Apprenticeship. Oh. You're working next to a master, you know, you're getting some real, like this is how it's actually done type exchange of knowledge. And then there's usually a, I kind of liken it. There's a difference between being in being engaged and dating, right? Internship <laughs> is like dating, and apprenticeship right. is like engagement. At the end, there is the goal that you convert and become a full time employee, but there is no such solution in the dating realm, right? Right, you, right, you, right. There's no marriage guaranteed when you're dating, right, right. So I'm gonna swipe right on apprenticeship because I definitely, according to your definition, there. I mean, it comes back to how I answered the previous question. Okay. It comes down to experience and people can do it without the CS certification stuff if they actually know and can, you know, show to a degree that they can. Same thing with the apprenticeship. I think with the cost of college, the cost of education, the cost of some of those insane certifications that they try to get people to force into, we've learned over the past couple of years. I mean, it's not necessary. I mean, there's alternative methods to be able to gain experience and gain education. So an internship gives you a certain level of experience as you, you were talking about. But the big difference is, is having that mentor in the life, teaching them, coaching them. I mean, it, it also depends on the candidate too. I mean, they have to be open to the coaching sure. and absorb it. Uh, but if they're willing to take it in and actually learn what's being taught to them, I think that's probably way better than the modern education system. Nice. I agree. Thousand percent. <laughs> it's interesting. We've shifted over time. We used to have more of more vocational programs you know, back in the 60s and 70s. And then what they noticed was there was some tracking happening where students were sort of at an early age being directed down certain paths. And so they wanted to eliminate a lot of that, I think, at the you know um, high school level, you know. And so, rather than them saying, "Let's do this in a smart way," they're just like, "We can't do this. Everybody's got to go to college." And now the big push is, yeah. "Everybody's got to go to college." So that's the success path, and the vocational path is sort of like a it's an mm -hmm. alternative that is like not looked upon as a first class way to you know get an education and and skill yourself for the relevant jobs. And so. I just I don't I don't know why I buy into that. And I don't think it's binary. I think you can you can go through some training and then when you get on the job, you can decide like you did later in life to get a degree when it makes sense for yeah, you. Yeah. You know, I hear I'll tell you a secret. I usually don't tell many people this. This might be an exclusive on the air uh for you, but <laughs> you know, I never even graduated high school be I got a GED. Uh, I went down a different path, moved to Mexico when I was 18 lived down uh, there for about 15 years, worked for the Mexican government, all that crazy stuff. But I did that without any uh, real degree except for a GED. It was the drive that I had because I knew I could do this stuff. And I felt like I, I you know, 18, I was cocky, a little arrogant. I'm like, hey, this school oh, thing held me back. Yeah. I got things to do and I could do it. So I went out, I made my own path. I don't regret it. And that's where I, I fully support that people can 
make their own path. You wait first. You should graduate high school. <laughs> That's the minimum. You should just because I didn't doesn't don't does not mean you should not. But after that, you can make your own path. They're all. There are alternatives. You do not have to go into the, I, I call it the university money-making scam, essentially, because there are different things you could do from vocational schools to apprenticeships to be able to learn the skills. And oftentimes, because you're learning real life experience, you're going to be better after that apprenticeship than you actually would have with more experience than someone with a brand smacking new uh, college degree. Yeah, 100% agree. So that's said, we talked a little bit about the requisite skills to, you know, to get ready. And then hopefully people are, are, are getting candidates to come into their organizations by removing some barriers. How do you retain folks? So once you have them on board, how do you get them to stay, especially if they're diverse uh, individuals? Yeah, so that's always a good question. I mean, you hear so many stories of companies, mostly, I guess, tech companies that they're like, oh, no, diversity, diversity. We need diversity. They hire people and then they end up having huge turnover rates because while they changed hiring practices to be more diverse, they actually didn't change the company culture behind it to not, you know, not, not be exclusive to one or push someone down, but be inclusive to everybody just as you are with your customers. Okay. If you own a business, you're inclusive to your customers. You understand though, you know, they're Asian, they do things like this, and you work, you accommodate them, and you build that into your business plan of managing their relationship. You need to have that same type of strategy, um, you know, and just really make diversity the key in your hiring practices. How do you do it? But it comes from the top down, being inclusive, open arms, sure. you know, uh, respect the people, making sure that you understand their culture, their background, what things are important to them just as much as you would if it was your client. Yeah, no, I think that's a great approach in treating your folks like like a customer, like customer's always right, right? So how do we have that higher level of cultural competence that lets right. us really understand what it's going to take to make this person feel welcome and feel included? Which yeah, I think... That's one of the reasons why I excel with Vision 33 at this position. Uh, even in the podcast, I've had an extremely diverse crowd on there, all different backgrounds. And it's because, you know, a lot of people be like, oh, you've got to manage your, your, your team this way. You manage prospects this way. You manage customers that way. I'm universally inclusive all around and my management practices, whether it's an employee, whether it's a customer, prospect, sales, a partner, whatever it is, it's all the same. I, I treat everybody the same. I'm inclusive to everything. And I think that's the approach people should have in order to really have the, the retention and make diverse candidates, you know, feel welcome inside. Yeah, sure. So who's someone like yourself that you think you'd like to acknowledge as a leader and should be invited on a podcast like this? Somebody like myself that should be 
on the podcast like this. I, I need a second to think there's so, so many people. I would like to say, I, I think somebody like one of our partners, like Avalara, John Regan, who is great uh, out there. Avalara has a lot of diverse people, diverse candidates, work, you know, salespeople, huge sales force. And they have, I think, hundreds, maybe thousands of employees in the U.S. They're, they're quite large. Uh, they do everything they can in order to make sure that they have the, the company culture built around diversity, especially once, I don't know how much tax law you know, but there was the Wayfair ruling where it changed it to where companies have to charge sales tax or can be forced to charge sales tax across state lines. Mm -hmm. So with that, their business, you know, it, it blew up from, you know, X amount of customers to Forex the amount of customers because everybody all of a sudden needed this type of software solution. Okay. And they basically baked that into their hiring practices from what I'm told and extremely diverse, pro-diversity, great people. Nice. All right. I'll put them on my radar. See if we can have someone <laughs> come on and tell me some of their secrets. Um, yeah. We want everybody to be doing this. So it's really, it's not about keeping the secrets. It's about sharing mm -hmm. best practices. So where can we find out more information about your company? This is a great time for any shameless plugs, maybe a little podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, really easy, vision33.com. That's for Vision 33. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, just David Strausser. There's also the Sharkbite Biz podcast. You can go to sharkbitebiz.com or preferably go to our YouTube channel, just look up Shark Bite Biz. We got about 2,000 subscribers. We've been out for about three, four months now. We started during the pandemic as a way just to help people grow and pivot their business during a global pandemic. And it's been a runaway success so far. I could not have asked for better results in the first 90 days. Nice. I like it. So we'll throw all those links into the show notes. Oh, thank that you. Way people can easily find them. So um last and most important question and that is what are you snacking on lately what's your favorite snack <laughs> my favorite snack is beef jerky i tried to do low carb slash keto although since i moved out to philly i think i've gained 30 pounds because i love calzones <laughs> and i cannot stop eating uh, but besides that uh beef jerky is my go-to snack right now okay so does it have to only be like real beef jerky or are you okay with the like one of my favorites is the slim gym i know it's salty yeah. not to eat the slim gyms but they're so yeah, good <laughs> they are so good i i could go with slim gyms basically um you know i'm, I'm i got a lot of jack licks and telemook uh yeah. i buy it in bulk off of places like uh amazon or sav's whatever's cheapest and of decent quality because if you're eating the same type of thing like meat you know you can only eat so much of the cheap stuff before you're like ah, i'm just tired of it the yeah. good stuff but slim jim is a good brand i love slim jim yeah that good stuff so awesome well thanks again david i really appreciate you coming on the program oh no problem hey thank you again for having me and i'm looking forward to having you on shark bite biz absolutely let's do it 
The San Diego Code School is a proud sponsor of the Snackwalls podcast. The San Diego Code School is leading companies to tech equity. The tech-enabled apprenticeship program is a venture whose heart is to do a lot of social good and do good work. You can help San Diego Code School secure funding for change by hiring developers, bringing a team in to relieve your backlog, or becoming a program sponsor. You can visit us on the web for more information at http colon forward slash forward slash sdcs.io. 